Just want to serve my country, be the best fighter pilot in Navy, sir. You want to know who the best is? That's him, Iceman. It's the way he flies, ice cold, no mistakes. You need to be doing it better and cleaner than the other guys. I'm Maverick. Maverick? Does your mother not like you or something? I gotta do something here. I, I, I still can't believe it. I gotta give you your dream shot. You two characters are going to Top Gun. You are the top 1% of all naval aviators. The elite will make you better. You figured it out yet? What's that? Who's the best pilot? I'm an instructor at this school. I see 20 new hot shots every eight weeks. Every time you go up in the air, you're unsafe. That's right. I am dangerous. Not your flying. It's your attitude. Yeah, I guess when I see something, I go right after it. It takes a lot more than just fancy flying. I got a family to think about. I can't afford to blow this. You're the only family I've got. I'm not gonna let you down. Gentlemen, this school is about combat. Ten more seconds, then I've got him. There are no points for second place. What you do up there, it's dangerous. But you've got to go on. Ice. Yes, sir. Hollywood. Yes, sir. Sector 2. Maverick, you back him up with Merlin on Ready 5. Yes, sir. There are MiGs in the area and tensions are high. If you witness a hostile act, you will return fire. Gentlemen, this is the real thing. This is what you've been trained for. Three MiGs dead ahead, coming down the left side. You are America's best. One MiG, close lock high. One MiG, close lock high. Make us proud. I got radar lock. You clear the fire. I got a good lock. Fire! I'm firing. Tom Cruise, Kelly McGillis, Top Gun. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Is It Yours, the movie review program where we ask ourselves, is it yours? And today I am joined by my good buddy, Dave Weeder. Hey, Dave. Hello. How you doing today? I am phenomenal. How about yourself? I don't know if I quite reached the level of phenomenal, but I'm pretty good. Well, I'm here. I'm talking with my friend Paul, so all, all things are good at this moment. Yeah, glad to hear it. And we are here today to discuss, dissect, and debate the movie, the, uh, what is it, 1986 movie, Top Gun, starring Tom Cruise. And anybody who's heard me talk on my various shows that I do probably knows already that I'm not much of a Tom Cruise fan. And this was the suggestion of my friend Dave, and I sat down, (laughs) what I don't do for podcasting, I sat down and I watched this movie again. It was on TV, so I set my DVR for it, and one night we were sitting going through the DVR, and Tina said, oh, Top Gun, I love that movie. (laughs) So I sat and watched it with her, so I did get to watch it with somebody who, who loves it, and get that perspective a little bit, but... I'm going to start with you and what you think of it, and then I'll jump in and give you my thoughts. Uh, before we get to that, the movie was directed by Tony Scott, stars Tom Cruise, Kelly McGillis, Val Kilmer, Anthony Edwards, and Thomas Skerritt. Uh, oh, don't is, forget Michael Ironside. Okay, don't forget Chester. That is true. <laughs> he, was, he wasn't listed on the very short list here on Wikipedia, though. <laughs> uh, and first I want to get your, before we get into the plot... Uh, what was your initial experience with this? How did you first see it? Uh, VHS, back when you had to rent the VCR, because they, I wouldn't 
get to see it in the theater because I was deemed too young, which I, I was nine. I don't know. Anyway, and watched it, thought it was visually striking. I liked the the male rivalry because at that time I was going into, I believe I was towards the end of my elementary school. So it was starting to head towards the male rivalry you expect uh, experience in junior high and high school. And I like the planes and I come from a family with a lot of Air Force members. So it was a I thought it was a great movie. OK, I, I'm, I'm not I'm never going to criticize somebody for their opinion. <laughs> that's that's fine. Now, see, for me, I saw it on VHS as well. Uh, and I saw it from a video store. I, I've never owned a copy of this movie. And you almost did, by the way. I almost sent it to you. <laughs> but I thought that might be a little too mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, it would just be kind of a waste because it would probably sit on my shelf and I don't think it would get used. Well, let's Tina saw it. Um, but this was the movie in that era. And you may have been a little too young to really have seen much of it. This was the movie that they would show in the electronic stores mm-hmm. to demonstrate the quality of the picture on their screen and the quality of the surround sound that they had hooked up to it to try and entice you into buying them. And I have always seen this. This was eventually replaced by Saving Private Ryan as the movie they would do that with. Uh, and another one that I would liken to this in my own opinion of it would be Pearl Harbor that they did that with a lot. Yeah. Um, I saw... I saw this because people talked about how good it was. I rented it. I watched it. And my impression then was that it was an extended music video. And that it never really went into make its characters three-dimensional. They all struck me as two-dimensional. I didn't really see a lot of chemistry personally between Kelly McGillis and, uh, and, and Tom Cruise. I thought their relationship was kind of forced in the movie. And that is, in a nutshell, and we'll talk more in detail as we go on, but that, in a nutshell, is why I was never really a big fan of the movie. I cannot criticize its uh, sound quality or cinematography, though. I I can see what you're saying, because it does lean, if if it's on the fence, it's leaning towards style over substance. But I don't think all the characters are three-dimensional. I think the relationship between Charlie and and Maverick, that was that was studio enforced. That's why you had a couple of reshoots to add more to that. Could have done without it completely. Mm-hmm. But I think the friendship between Goose and Maverick, when Maverick keeps pushing the line, and Goose is like, I'm a married man. I have a family. This is my career. You're putting me at jeopardy. And of course, that does play itself out. I think that's a very real conflict. Uh, the conflict between Iceman and Maverick is... It's very much ego, but it's not complete animosity, and they end up coming to a good place. I don't think that's completely dismissed in the story arcs. And, you know, Maverick kind of coming to a moment of redemption, where Tom Skerritt kind of says, here's the background. Here's what has this thing that's been haunting you is not what you think it is. And Maverick coming to a place where he can be himself and get out of his father's shadow. Is a lot of that cliche? A little bit. But is it played out well within what is really marketed as a high-octane semi-adventure movie, yeah, it plays out fairly well. Okay, that's a fair perspective on it. I'm going to give the plot now, uh, and then we'll go from there and get into some specifics with it. United States Naval Aviator Lieutenant Pete Maverick Mitchell and his radar intercept officer Lieutenant J.G. Nick Goose Bradshaw 
fly the F-14A Tomcat aboard USS Enterprise. Gotta love the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. They, with Maverick's wingman Cougar and his Rio Merlin, intercept fictional McCoyan Gorovich MiG-28s over the Indian Ocean. During the engagement, Maverick flies his Tomcat parallel to one of the MiGs and inverts his craft in order to give the other pilot the finger, a feat that adds to his already wild reputation. Cougar is almost taken out by one of the hostile aircraft, however, and afterwards is too shaken to land despite being low on fuel. In defiance of orders, Maverick aborts his landing and escorts Cougar back to the carrier, being low on fuel. Cougar gives up his wings, citing his newborn child that he has never seen. Despite his dislike for Maverick's recklessness, CAG Stinger sends him and Goose, now his top crew, to attend the Top Gun school at NAS Miramar. Maverick flies recklessly in part to compensate for his father, Duke Mitchell, a naval aviator with BF-51 aboard the USS Oriskany during the Vietnam War. The elder Mitchell died when his F-4 Phantom II was shot down in an incident Maverick refuses to believe was his fault. Goose is cautious and devoted to his wife, Carol, and his child. The two officers are nonetheless close friends and effective partners. At a bar the day before Top Gun starts, Maverick, assisted by Goose, unsuccessfully approaches a woman. He learns the next day she is Charlotte Charlie Blackwood, an astrophysicist and civilian Top Gun instructor. Upon learning that Maverick is the pilot who flipped off the MiG-28 pilot, and as a result disproved her data suggesting the MiG-28 was limited in performing a negative G pushover due to a problem with its inverted flight tanks, she is instantly more interested in him. Maverick's reckless flying both annoys and impresses LCDR Rick Jester Heatherly and the other instructors. He defeats Jester in combat, but breaks two rules of engagement in the process. Becomes a rival to top student Lieutenant Tom Iceman Kaczynski, who considers Maverick's methods dangerous, and continues to pursue Charlie. During the class, she analyzes Maverick's engagement with Jester's aircraft, calling it an example of what not to do. Later, Charlie admits to him that she admires his tactics, but criticized them to hide her feelings for him from others, and they begin a romantic relationship. During a training sortie, Maverick abandons his wingman, Hollywood, to chase Chief Instructor CDR Mike Viper Metcalf. Maverick matches the older pilot move for move, but Viper maneuvers Maverick into a position from which his wingman, Jester, who has already defeated Hollywood, can shoot down Maverick from behind demonstrating the value of teamwork over individual ability. Near the end of the training program, Maverick and Iceman both chase Jester. The latter attempts to gain a missile lock on the target. Maverick is close enough to take out Jester with his guns and pressures Iceman to break off the engagement and clear his shot. Maverick's F-14 flies through the jet wash of Iceman's aircraft and suffers a flame out of both engines, forcing Maverick's aircraft into an unrecoverable flat spin. Maverick and Goose eject, but the force of the ejection slams Goose's head into the Jettison's aircraft, killing him instantly. Although the Board of Inquiry clears Maverick of responsibility for Goose's death, he feels guilty and loses his aggressiveness when flying. Charlie and others attempt to console him, but Maverick considers retiring. Unsure of his future, he seeks Viper's advice. Viper reveals that he served with Maverick's father in VF-51 and tells him classified details that prove Duke Mitchell died heroically. He informs Maverick that he, can, that he can graduate from Top Gun if he can regain his self-confidence. Maverick chooses to graduate, but Iceman wins the award for Top Pilot. 
During the graduation party, Hollywood and Maverick are ordered to immediately return to Enterprise to deal with a crisis situation, providing air support for the rescue of a stricken communication ship that has drifted into hostile waters. Maverick and Merlin are assigned to one of two F-14s as backup for those flown by Iceman and Hollywood, despite Iceman's reservations over Maverick's state of mind. The subsequent hostile engagement with six MiGs sees Hollywood shot down. Maverick is scrambled alone due to catapult failure and nearly retreats after encountering circumstances similar to those that caused Goose's death. Upon finally rejoining Iceman, they shoot down four MiGs and force the others to flee and return triumphantly to, the, to Enterprise. Offered an, any assignment he chooses, Maverick decides to return to Top Gun as an instructor. At a bar at Miramar, Maverick and Charlie reunite. The end. And you know, see, the problem is with for me is I don't really have a scene by scene breakdown of what I don't like about the movie. <laughs> And I can't sit here and tell you it's a terrible movie. I just feel, as I said, that it's it's a little bit light on true characterization. I, I feel like the each each character is a little bit of a uh, a stereotype being put out there, and because it's a stereotype, you're just expected to know this is what their personality is. They don't really develop the personality. I don't feel like they earn the personality. They just tell you this is who they are. You know, join us in progress. I almost feel like it's tuning into a, a, an episode of a TV series during the third season. I, I see that. However, I think that might be retroactive. Since Top Gun, which is it's, it's the movie that put Tom Cruise on the map. <clears throat> Since then, he's made movies like Days of Thunder and Jerry Maguire. The, the, the attempt to recreate Top Gun and not do it as well. No, it's Top Gun with race cars. It's same director and same basic plot structure. So retroactively, Top Gun, unfortunately, gets damaged by that because that's what's called the Tom Cruise template. Well, see, and I've always kind of felt a little bit of that with Tom Cruise that in most of his movies, and there are exceptions to this, in most of his movies, he comes on as a screen, he gives you the, hey, aren't I cool smile, and you're supposed to instantly <laughs> like him and be wooed over by him. And that's not enough to do it for me. I'm not charmed. I'm sorry. <laughs> And I think he does a lot of that in this movie. And I thought that when this was still fairly new, I never, I've never actually sat down and watched Days of Thunder. It's, it's, it's Top Gun with race cars. And as much as I liked the visuals, because Tony Scott, rest his soul, and of course his brother Ridley Scott are both very visual directors with very different speeds. (laughs) Ridley Scott will let things settle, they'll let scenes play out, let visuals work, excuse me, in the way they should. Tony Scott was a little bit more, let's move forward, let's move forward, let's move forward. Not quite Michael Bay level, but a little bit more commercial than Ridley Scott. I, I was going to just make a comparison to Michael Bay. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Bay, Ridley Scott will let, or Tony Scott, pardon me, will let scenes play out as needed, but it's like minimal need. Michael Bay doesn't. Michael Bay is wanting to distract you at every single moment where Tony Scott is, he's yes, he's doing visuals, but he's not doing it completely music video style. I mean... Some of the shots on the aircraft carrier are some of the best visuals you've ever seen of aircraft. And at one point, just to keep the light, he had to pay the captain of the ship to turn it back around. Because every time they turn this aircraft carrier, apparently apparently takes like $10,000. So Tony Scott wrote a check, said, let me get my light. So he he is trying to to do something with the visuals where Michael Bay is just like, let's let's throw everything we can at at the viewer. 
Well, there there is an element, and I also call this a music video uh, thing. There is an element during action scenes where some directors tend to go for the quick cut and mucho close-ups. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't allow you to really follow the action as well as you'd like because they don't give you enough establishing shots. And I think there were some points in this movie where Tony Scott was guilty of that. Yeah, couple, I mean, I'm not going to completely of the absolve it. scenes, it was a little bit hard to get a, a handle on where everybody was. And I, and I, I put that on the director or the editor. Could be either. But I, I yeah. would assume he had a hand in the editing as well. Oh, you also have studios and producers who want certain things from a movie. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of hands in any movie's, you know, proverbial pot. This one, Top Gun, I feel, is, is it Jaws? No, no, it's not going to be art. It's not um, Remains of the Day. It's not The Godfather. This isn't Oscar material. But can you go to the, the film and eat popcorn and be entertained for two hours? Most certainly. Which is, I know it sounds like it's not high praise, but, you know, for people like you and I who, as part of our hobby, we dissect things and criticize things. And, and we come to it, you know, with as, as clean a bias as we can, we still can go out to any movie and still pick it apart. Yeah, there, there is definitely a different art to watching a movie for enjoyment and watching a movie to be critical and dissect. Mm-hmm. And I often try to straddle that line because especially when I go to a movie theater to see a movie because I'm not paying usually it's me and my kids or me Tina my kids and her kids so it can be quite quite a costly venture and that's yeah, that's before concessions yes so <laughs> I don't pay all that money to go to a movie and give up the the prospect of just enjoying it so if if I can you know this one again I watch this on the DVR but if I'm going to a movie theater to see it I fully intend to just let myself get taken away by the movie, forget the whole being a critic aspect of it, and then after the movie is done, I'll try and remember everything I can and dissect it then. Well, so to that, I'm assuming you haven't seen this on, on the big screen. I have not. Okay. They, no, they, unless, some... unless you consider a 50-inch TV set big screen. <laughs> no, in the theater, because that's a completely different experience. I'm sure it is. Um, and it is. I've seen it replayed, and you know, in that regard, it's a mesmerizing film. And again, you know, some of the character arcs really do play from point A to point B. Are they cookie cutter? No, not really. Because the main character doesn't win. He's not the best pilot. Iceman does that. And he concedes. And he he learns humility. And he learns the consequences of his actions. The main character is kind of punished for the better for him. But it's not, look how good this guy is. He's learning how to be a great person. No, this guy is being dragged through the mud. And the result is he does progress a little. I'm not 100% sure I agree with that he doesn't walk away as the best pilot at the end. I, I would say his and Iceman's skill set are probably similar, and you could debate which one of these, which one of them is actually the best pilot, and I think Iceman walks away with the top-level uh, award because he plays a little bit more safe and goes a little bit more during the by the book. Mm-hmm. But uses then, teamwork versus individuality. Yes. And while he's learned, while, while Maverick is taught a lesson in humility, I don't know if that lesson includes, uh, you know, you, you shouldn't follow your instincts. I'm not sure that that, that comes into it. I, I think it's saying, you know, sometimes you need to follow your instincts and other times you just go, you know, you know, you have to go by the book. 
I, I think they're saying, it you know, did, let's take one, a little from column A, a little from column B is the way I read it at the end. And mm-hmm. I don't think it's decided really who is the better pilot yet. But if anything, I think they're telling you, you know, Maverick is capable of being more open in what he does. And therefore, he probably would be the better pilot in the long run. In the long run, I could see that. Yeah. But this is the beginning of, of that journey. This is the this is the forge mm-hmm. on which Maverick is being, you know, placed into that role. And then, of course, there's a soundtrack. Let's not forget the soundtrack. Oh, no, we, we, we will be discussing the soundtrack. <laughs> uh, let, me, let me just ask you, do, you, do you know any of the dollar figures on this thing? Uh, not off the top of my head. I know the budget was something around $19 million. Uh, Close, $15 million. Okay, $15 million. Uh, which any, by any today's standards would be. the box be, office might be? It was about $180 million for 86 It was insane. Okay, well, they, they, give the world, they give the worldwide, and I'll have to look to see what the domestic is. Worldwide, it's three hundred and fifty-six point eight million. Okay, wow. And let me see if I can get us to uh, to domestic and, here. And for context, uh, that's about the same as Back to the Future in nineteen eighty-five. D- domestic was one seventy-nine eight hundred. Oh, I was close. Yeah, very. So this was a huge, huge success. Mm-hmm. No question about it. Oh, it was everywhere. At that point, you started seeing bomber jackets appear with with the fake patches and That's aviator true. glasses. And now, from just from from the critical point, let, let's talk about the cast a little bit. I already kind of told you what I thought about Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you see him now? Let, let's go a little further into him. Actually, now I I don't think he stretched his acting muscles in this, but I do think he is capable of it. I think he is sometimes a lazy actor because he relies a little too much on the uh, charming smile. Mm-hmm. But when he does actually try to act, I think he's got the he's got the chops to do it. I've seen him do it. Uh, yeah. Interview the vampire. He was phenomenal in that. Whether you like the movie or not, he played a different character from the Tom Cruise paradigm. Yes, I, I, I and I did not like the movie, but I would agree with you that his acting performance in that it was one of his better acting performances in a movie I mm-hmm. did not like. Uh, I liked it the way he was able to submerge his larger than life big screen personality in A Few Good Men, which is my favorite of his movies. But he was able to be part of an ensemble cast there and was able to hold the screen while Jack Nicholson was chewing up the scenery. And when, uh, yeah, you, to go up against Jack Nicholson as a feat. Yes. So I give him a lot of credit for that. Uh, no, I, told- think, I think he has potential, but like you, I, I do, I agree. He just, he's content to be uh, one with this image he's made. Yeah. You know, I'm told by Andy Leyland that uh, what is it, Edge of Tomorrow and Oblivion are both very good performances. Mm-hmm. I have not, I have not seen either one yet. But I've heard, I've heard the same on both. So I think he's got the ability. I don't think he stretched his muscles in this one at all. No, and he he didn't need to yet. I mean, this was a this was an easy role for him because it fit his his general makeup. And I don't think the script allowed him to really do much. I don't, I don't think there were a lot of scenes. There was, you know the. The scenes when he had emotion to show were written in a way to be a little over the top. Yeah, I, I, could, I was thinking about that because I was thinking, you know, he's standing there in the post-accident, post-Goose's death, in the bathroom just kind of smoldering what he's doing. And then there's a scene where he goes by Charlie's house and she's moved and he reacts to that. And yeah, they are over the top. Yeah, so, so there really wasn't much of a chance for him to say, hey, I'm a good actor. Look how subtly I can express these emotions <laughs> i don't i don't think that happened at any point in this movie so i i can't blame him 
so much for what I saw as a two-dimensional character because I think that's the way it was written and I think that's the way it was directed and I think what they got on the screen was what they wanted. Mm -hmm. I don't think it was a failure by any stretch of the imagination. It just wasn't what I would want. They wanted a good-looking, cocky pilot type and that's what they got with him. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and they wanted it to be, again, you know, like I said, you know, you kind of already know what you've got before you even hear him say a word. Mm-hmm. So now, uh, Kelly McGillis, personally, I thought she was poorly cast in this. Well, it could have been worse. Apparently the character, I don't know if they had her cast at this point, but the character started out as uh, just a brainless ditz who worked as an uh, aerobics instructor, instructor. And somebody said, no, we need a, a valid female in here. So... <laughs> We, we may have gotten much, much worse. It could have been. But I didn't really buy her as the astrophysicist either. And I also didn't buy her as falling in love with Tom Cruise. No, that, that progressed a little bit quickly. And as mentioned, it was, it was studio mandated, which is why there's a scene where they meet on an elevator. She's wearing a hat and he's, got, he's coming out of the shower or something. Basically, they, they had came back to reshoot it. So some, her hair had been – her color had been changed. His hair was longer. So they had to downplay that. So, <laughs> mm. it was it was the whole shower thing in there when he's leaving to go take a shower. Like he realizes yeah. he's, he's underdressed and whatever. Uh, you know, that was an attempt at a character moment. I, I don't know if, if it I thought that quiet that well moment between the two of them that was actually one of the better moments. Now, and he actually did have a moment of subtlety where she kind of hit up against you know his father and the things that are bothering him, and and then that's when you see this disconnect. That's one of the better moments. Well, I'll give you that it's one of the better ones. I'm still I'm still not feeling the subtlety though. Well the subtlety's not really between these two, it's with some of the other actors though. Okay, yeah. Well, the supporting we're, we're, cast we're is... almost at that. I, I yeah. think we have one more where it's not too subtle. Uh, the next actor on my list is Val Kilmer. And now I think Val Kilmer may be the best actor in this movie, but again, I think his character is what he is, and you're supposed to know what he is right from the start, and I don't think there's a lot of character development. I don't think there's any story arc at all. There is. Other than at the end, he respects him. Well, the thing about Iceman and the way Kilmer plays him is there are within, within probably not within director parameters, but within the actor trying to put something extra. You see these moments of him looking at Maverick. I don't think he outright hates Maverick. And the thing about Iceman is he's not wrong about Maverick. No, not at all. Iceman is right. And Kilmer will play these little moments where you can see the concern. You can see kind of what Jester and, and Viper talk about later, that the kid's got chops, but he needs to meter this in. And it's all nonverbal. It's not an Oscar-worthy performance. Let's put it that way. There's not one of those in this movie except for James Tolkien, but that's a whole other thing. Well, we, but you know, we, we talk about like this, the subtlety of the acting or something. You know, his his – I thought again. I thought we had some kind of broad strokes there, like he would he would look at Tom Cruise and he'd roll his eyes, you know, very, very visibly kind of thing. You know, I I I didn't feel the subtlety again. I just felt you know, I did think he played the cocky very well. Yeah, but as far as his distaste for Maverick, I thought it could have been a little bit more nuanced. Eh, I, I think I I see what you're saying. I think it was. Again, within what the director is providing, I think Val Kilmer did what he could to put that nuance in there. Did it all come through 110%? No. Now, the but next it's, two it's guys there. on my list, I think, are, in, in my opinion, the MVPs of the movie as far as acting goes. Uh, first is Anthony Edwards. I, I thought he yes. gave an excellent performance. I thought he, he portrayed exactly what you talked about earlier. I didn't think he, you know, he didn't get a lot of screen time with Meg Ryan as his wife. 
but I think you you felt what was there. You know, he, he, he there was some chemistry between the two of them at least, mm-hmm. and you understood his relationship with her and and the baby and you know everything that was going on there, and you also understood his loyalty and lack of comfort <laughs> as far as Maverick and what he was doing. And I think there was some subtlety to, to his performance, and I think he also. Uh, played it in a very charismatic way. I think if Tom Cruise could have done what Anthony Edwards did, I think this would have been a better movie. Yeah, and Goose is written as as a person, not as a cliche. He's 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 a person. He's three dimensional, and that makes his death that much more of an impact. Yeah, he he was the most likable person in this movie. Yeah, I know Tom Panarese, a pop culture affidavit, wrote a whole blog post on Goose. Mm-hmm. Okay, I have not seen that, but I'd be interested in it. Yeah, popcultureaffidavit.com. And Tom is, you know, Tom's a friend of the show and, mm-hmm. you know, it's anything he puts out is usually very well thought out and worth worth reading or hearing. Uh, and the last guy on my list, but we will talk beyond it because you did mention somebody who I didn't have on my list here, uh, is Tom Skerritt, who I can say I don't think I've ever seen him in anything that I haven't liked his performance. No, I'll agree with that. I think Tom Skerritt's kind of the uh, that guy actor. He's been in a ton of stuff, kind of like uh, Bruce Greenwood or... Um, can't think of the other guy's name, but he's, you know, a, that guy, mm-hmm. not, not marquee, but he shows up and he adds certain gravitas to it. Like his performance, it's kind of like an accent on a girl. It just makes the movie that much better. I, I see Tom, I see Tom Skerritt as, uh, the word that I think of is avuncular. He's, he's like the, the uncle that you're always happy to see, mm-hmm. you know, and, and who slips you a beer and <laughs> yeah, you know, he's cool. And yet he still has this sense of authority about him. Just every, every part he's in, I mean, from from this to Alien to when he was on uh, Cheers. Yes. He's he's just always likable and always just has that, that sense about him that, that there's this comfort level about him that he just oozes. And I, I think, you know, he's one of these actors who I don't think I've ever seen a bad performance out of him. Even in something like Steel Magnolias, he shows up and just nails a perfectly balanced performance. He's kind of like Phil Hartman where he can be what you need him to be. He he has that volume control where he yeah. can tie anything together. Yeah, that's that's fair. And then you mentioned uh, that I had left Michael Ironsides off the list, and uh, Michael Ironsides, he doesn't have a lot to do in this movie, but show up and be Michael Ironsides. So yeah, I I didn't see him as uh, as particularly uh, important to the movie, but you know, but he he definitely serves his purpose. Now, just thinking, and we'll tie it into what you do on uh, Dave Does Podcasting is. I always mixed him up with uh, George, uh, was it George DiCenzo from uh, Back to the Future? The guy who plays uh, Leah Thompson's father? Oh, yeah. I can see I can see that. I can really see that, actually. There, there was always... They played something. that sort of gruff, <laughs> gruff and, and man's man. That guy, the guy who played Leah Thompson's father, back in the 80s, I worked with his son. So he used to point him out to me. When that when Back to the Future came out, he was like, oh, you got to go see this movie. My dad's in it. <laughs> And that's how I ended up seeing Back to the Future. So I got to go see this movie. My friend's dad is in it. Well, there's another Back to the Future tie to this movie as well. When you have James Tolkien playing basically Principal Strickland. Oh, yes. With some of the best scenery chewing in the film. The 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 problem is he was in Back to the Future. So every time he came onto the screen, I would think slackers. Slackers, yeah. There's no Mitchell has ever mounted anything in the history of the Air Force. And then Tom Cruise says things are about to change. There's a crossover that's just needing to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, unless there's anybody else you want to hit on in the cast. Um, 
it's not a big part, but this is one of Tim Robbins' early movies. Towards the end, he plays Merlin. I didn't even notice him. Yep, he's at the one of the last last act. He's on the Enterprise. Oh, okay. I I totally missed that. That's kind of yep. cool. I but, don't think uh, I ever oh, really I, took notice of him until Bull Durham. Bull Durham was the one. Um, of course, Shawshank. Yeah. Well, Shawshank was after Bull Durham, I believe. Yeah. Unless I'm mistaken. Well, I'm slightly younger, so I wasn't allowed to go to Bull Durham when it was in the theater because that's an R-rated movie. Yeah, it was way too racy. Yeah. <laughs> My little virgin ears couldn't have taken it. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so let's see. We hit on the budget. We hit on the cast. We hit a little bit on the story. We hit the directing. I guess it's time to talk some soundtrack. Oh, if there's one artist that wrote the '80s, it's Kenny Loggins. Yes. <laughs> well, between this and Footloose, yeah, <laughs> Caddyshack. Uh, yeah, oh, and Caddyshack. Yeah, he was pretty much uh, ubiquitous at that time. Uh, yeah, I mean, this was a high octane soundtrack. That uh, you know, again, this this was the thing in home media that they would show in the in the electronic stores to try and get people to buy their surround sound units and their big screen TVs. So, uh, let's see, do we have a list of the... I I know it leads off with Danger Zone. Well, I can get it pulled up real quick, depending on how much of a connection I have. You have Take My Breath Away, which was nominated, apparently, for... Oh, for, for AFI's Top 100 Songs. It was nominated... So it leads off with, yeah, here it is. Here's the the entire list. Danger Zone by Kenny Loggins. The, the video you saw everywhere that year. Kenny Loggins laying in bed, very pensive, very energetic. Uh, Mighty Wings by Cheap Trick. I don't remember this one. No, I'm, I'm, I can't picture that or I can't hear it in my head at all. No, but I can I can hear Playing with the Boys by Kenny Loggins as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the shirtless, sweaty zone, volleyball okay. swing. Yeah. Lead Me On by Tina Marie, uh, Take My Breath Away by Berlin, which I think is one of the better romantic songs of uh, the few years there. <laughs> uh, Hot Summer Nights by Miami Sound Machine. That's right, little Gloria Estefan. Heaven In Your Eyes by Loverboy. And this is the full-length one, by the way. So this is directly from Spotify. Through the Fire by Larry Green. Destination Unknown by Marietta. And then the classic Top Gun Anthem by Harold Flatmeyer and Steve Stevens, which is, it's really something. Mm-hmm. Like if you want to get pumped, but not take it too seriously, you play the pop the Top Gun anthem, and yet you walk away from the movie hearing Danger Zone, Take My Breath Away, and uh, you've lost that love and feeling. Yeah, most definitely you've lost that love and feeling. Uh, a little bit of Great Balls of Fire in there, but yeah, <laughs> those are the ones that that stand out. And don't and, forget and, Sitting on the Dock of the Bay by Otis Redding, recorded in one take, by the way. Hmm, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, I just found out recently. And one of the all-time great songs, too. Yep. But, but yeah, you end up with the classics, and they're classic for a reason. So it was definitely, it was the big, big soundtrack that year that you could have gotten on record or cassette, for those that remember. But it was past the, day, the days of 8-track. Yeah. And just before the days of CD. Right. It was right about the time of CD, I think. Because mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure, by 86, I think I had a CD player. But not everything was coming out on CD yet. No, it would come out on vinyl and then be released later on CD. There was mm-hmm. always a delay on the CD release, which I found very frustrating at the time. But uh, I, I ended up getting rid of like all my vinyl 
and now I've <laughs> there's the resurgence in vinyl. So now I have a, a new turntable, and thankfully Chris Honeywell. When when we all got together this summer, Chris Honeywell brought me about seven or eight albums that he bought uh, at garage sales. Oh yeah, you can find them, and there, now there's whole stores devoted to vinyl, almost like it happened before. Well, there are, but like if you go to uh, Barnes and Noble, yeah, <laughs> you, and you pick up a vinyl album, they want like twenty five dollars for it. Yeah, Chris Honeywell found these at a garage sale for fifty cents each. No, that's and that's the way they should be. And you, if you go to flea markets, things like that, yeah, you can you can find vinyl, vintage vinyl, and it's it's. It, I don't think the sound quality is really that much better. Now yeah. I sound like an old man. I'm going to tell some kids to get off my lawn. <laughs> uh, I'm just waiting to chase them away. Anyway, so what else? Uh, any other aspect of this movie that we have not hit on? Uh, no, I mean, it, again, it leans a little bit more visual, but I don't think it's com- the complete waste that people want to paint it as. And it's I'll give you not. That. I, I try to be open-minded about this stuff. I don't want to. I've sit. I'm sitting through this. You know, you you suggested it, and I'm watching it, and and I'm. I don't want to sit here saying, "Oh, I watched it," saying to myself. I hated this movie. I want to keep hating it and explain to Dave why I hated it. I watched it saying, let me see if I can get lost in this movie again. Or let me see if I can get lost to this movie for the first time. And I really didn't, I have to say. But I didn't go in there with the attitude of, you know, just saying that it's a preordained thing that I'm going to hate it. I said, let me, let me give it another shot. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll like this thing. And I can't say I hated it at all. I didn't. But I'm also not inclined to want to watch it again anyway. What if it was, you know, the TV's on, you're you're just hanging around the house, would you and it happens to come on? Would no, you turn prob- the channel? I'm probably blowing past it, but I'm not blowing past it with a sneer. No. <laughs> if that may, if that makes it sound better. No, I understand. I mean, I, I have the steelbook, DVD, Blu-ray, digital combo. So clearly I, I've invested enough that I, I enjoyed enough to invest. Okay. So why don't you give your breakdown of is this Jaws? And do you know the Jaws scale? I don't know the Jaws scale. Okay, I'm well, assuming that Jaws: The Revenge is the worst. It, it is as far as the scale goes. Which, which is, I, I explain every episode what the Jaws scale is because I don't want people to get confused by it. Because actually, Jaws: The Revenge I feel is more watchable than Jaws Three. But huh? for purposes <laughs> of, for purposes of this show, uh, if you rated Jaws, you're saying it's an all time classic, a great movie. If you rated Jaws 2, you're saying it is an excellent movie worthy of rewatching, but not quite at the level of classic. If you rated Jaws 3, it's watchable, but not really anything special to speak of. You know, it's got flaws and, you know, it's not terrible, but it's not great either. And Jaws 4 is a piece of crap by the Jaws, by the Is It Jaws scale. And yet when we were in New York, we watched Jaws, portions of Jaws the Revenge at least three times. Yes. Well, Jaws the Revenge, you know, just going on a tangent now, the reason I find Jaws the Revenge to be more watchable than Jaws 3 is because, to me, Jaws 3 has absolutely nothing going for it. Jaws the Revenge has the it's so bad, it's funny aspect. Yeah. See, I saw Jaws 3D in the theater. What's that? I saw Jaws 3D in the theater. I was five, by the way, so I watched it without the 3D glasses because I had no idea that effect was going to be quite so... In your face, literally. Scared the bejesus out of me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's something to be said for nostalgia, I guess. Yeah. I saw it in the theater as well, but that is, I'm not proud of it. <laughs> uh, so, where, so where do you rank Top Gun? I, I would rank this right at Jaws 2. At the lower, I mean, if there's increments, it's, it's towards the, you know, the lower part. It's not a classic. 
Um, it did do a lot with visual storytelling. Um, what can be done in camera, uh, filming techniques as far as, you know, the stuff they did with the planes completely invented for this harnesses, uh, camera things, um, to the cockpits, etc. completely new, completely visually arresting there. I don't think the characters are complete cookie cutter, but they are limited, but they're watchable. They're engaging. And I think at the end of the day, I can sit back, watch this movie, enjoy it, and then go on and do something else. Okay. I'm going to come in at Jaws 3 on this for me personally. Uh, on the positive side, I think the visuals are incredibly dynamic. I think, again, the cinematography is wonderful. I think the soundtrack is tremendous. Uh, I think it is the perfect or one of the perfect movies for showing off your sound system and and audio video system to show uh, you know what can be done but as a character study I felt it was extremely limited I think the characters we, we do disagree because I do think the characters are very much cookie cutter uh, with the exception of, of Goose uh, who I think is a little bit more three dimensional but other than that I think the storyline becomes very predictable overall and I don't think it, you know, I, I, it's watchable. I don't think it's, I wouldn't say it's not. Uh, but I, I think ultimately it's, you know, one of these things where you walk away and you say, hmm, that's all? Okay. So that's where I, I find it. I drop it in at Jaws 3. Okay. So not, neither one of us, you know, we're, we're not too much of a deviation between the two of us. Well, neither, neither of us is saying it's a classic and neither of us is saying it's crap. <laughs> so yeah. we're, we're, in, we're in between that just at slightly different levels. Yep. And that's not bad. See, we can learn to get along. Who would have thought? I expected this was going to be the end of our friendship on this call. Yeah. I thought I was going to end up with a safety pin. (laughs) Okay. Uh, So anybody listening, that's our review of Top Gun. Uh, Email can be sent to jawspodcast at gmail.com. I'm interested in your feedback. Let me know what you think of this movie. Let me know if there's other movies you'd like us to cover. And iTunes reviews are cool. Until, uh, but uh, after that, Dave, thanks for coming on. Uh, and why Thank don't you tell you. everybody where else they can find you? Right down the dial from Is It Jaws at Dave Does Podcasts, where I cover, well, uh, Back to the Future and Star Trek are going to be two of the big things you see in 2017 with some Ghostbusters and basically whatever I want mixed in. I would recommend everything that Dave is on highly. He, he does a great job on every show, including Dave Does Podcasts. Uh, so there's, there's a whole plethora of past stuff out there too so yes <laughs> that's on, why on, i do those podcasts exist so i can do all of that under one roof yeah that's you do, with any luck this is this is your final stopping place and you could just go on with this one forever with whatever topic you want exactly well podcasting is kind of like tattoos once you get one you want more <laughs> that's a, another interesting perspective my friend yeah <laughs> well that's that's actually credit to michael bailey for that so All right, and uh, that'll do it for our show. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Thanks again, Dave. Thank you. When you hear Danger Zone, does that make you want to jump in your jet, grab goose, and go hunt down some bogeys or whatever? It makes me want to jump on my motorcycle. (laughs) Do you and Kenny Loggins know each other? We actually, we kept missing each other. Tonight is the first time that we met each other. That's unbelievable. I love his music. He's been a part of my life and mine, you know, and his. It's just amazing. Do you remember when you heard that song as part of the soundtrack? I heard it uh, before it was in the film, right right when he did it. I heard it. I heard both. They're incredible. 
Yeah, just I mean, unbelievable. It's, it's a song that immediately makes you think of that movie, I know. and it puts you right. He, in the... He'd done Caddyshack before that, and Footloose, and obviously, you know, his whole career. So we were very excited when he said he would be part. Top of Gun it, is you know? 30 years old. I know. You know. Have you Amazing. watched it? When is the last time you saw? Have you Amazing. seen it recently? Happen upon it on Netflix or something? I watch like it every day. You... <laughs> <laughs> you know, Jerry Bruckheimer. Every morning, I'm like. The producer of Top Gun was yeah. here uh, a few months ago, and he was telling a story of how he uh, persuaded you to do the movie by sending you to fly with the Blue Angels. Yeah, the Blue Angels. And he said that you didn't want to do the movie, and then you got there and you flew with them, and then it, you were all in. Is that this true? Is a, this is okay. This is really funny. Now, Jerry, I, I've never told you this story. Okay, and the truth is, is that after the first meeting, I met with Tony and, and Jerry at Paramount Pictures, and I got in the car and I was flying to New York, and I told my agent, I said, I'm going to make this movie. I said, but don't tell Jerry that I want to make this movie. I said, because I wanted to fly with the Blue Angels. I wanted to, you know, you got to work these things, you know? I was a young, young businessman also. And I said, I want to fly in the F-14. I've got to have at least three flights in the F-14. I want all the training. Uh, and he's such a brilliant uh, producer. He was, I was able to be in every single meeting while, there, while we were working and developing the scripts so I could, I could learn from, uh, to from learn, him. To learn to produce. Yeah, to learn more about movies because he's, he's you know, obviously one of the greatest uh, producers of our time. And yet you bamboozled him, really, is yeah, the truth. I did. <laughs> <laughs> but I love these tell that story. Sorry, Jerry. I forgot you and I never really had that He also said you threw yet. up in the plane. Is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> No, when we went to go with the... Yeah, I did. I, I vomited with the Blue Angels. Yeah. And, and I also, when I was flying, uh, I had three flights in one day in the F-14. And my first pilot in the morning, we went through all the training for the ejector seat training. I've always wanted to fly airplanes my whole life. I traveled around. I had two pictures. I had a picture of P-51 and a Spitfire. And anyway, so we did all the training. And now came the day that we've got to fly. And um, we set up the cameras. And it wasn't like today. It was very, really challenging and quite brilliant of Tony Scott, how he figured out how to do it. But the guy who flew me in the first flight, you know, his name was Bozo. Really? <laughs> yeah, the pilot's name was Bozo. Oh, great. <laughs> so I'm strapping in, we're getting in there, and you just see the helmet go on, it says Bozo. I'm like, Bozo? Okay. <laughs> right. So as we're going down, we're, you know, we're, he's going through all the check sheet, and we're, we're going through it, and there's all these lights on and emergency lights and everything, and I'm, we're about to take off, and I, was, I remember saying, you know, Bozo, what? These lights, there's a lot of red lights. You go, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He starts turning them off. I'm like, okay. And he goes, they don't call me Bozo for nothing. And I said, all right. <laughs> so we take off. We do, we have very specific maneuvers we're supposed to do, very low over the deck. And we tried to get through these as fast as possible so then we could go up and, and play for, you know, a good, you know, whatever fuel we had left. But I remember first flight in the morning, I, we were going really hard. We were, we were moving around and, we, like, did nine and a half Gs and, and very hard in my body. And I had a bag right here, you know, the vomit bag right here. So in between takes, you know, I just quickly leaned down and to quickly, you know, empty my guts into this bag. <laughs> and there was an A4 over here in the F-14. And the second I did that, he pulls up. He pulls up. And, I, and so I'm like this, and I don't know, I can't do it now, but my head was literally from the pressure, was my head was on the ground. <laughs> It was my helmet. I was pressed on the floor holding my vomit like this. <laughs> and I'm going, I'm trying to like the talk to press the talk button was on the foot. And I kept going, I was going, bozo, 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 like this, bozo, bozo. You know, I was, I was like choking. And it just kept pulling up and up and up. 
And I finally, he released, and we were going, you know, straight ahead. And I, I was like, I said, Bozo, what? What's the matter with you, man? Did you see? You pulled up, and my head was hitting the floor. You pulled the hardest. He goes, well, I told you, they don't call me Bozo for nothing. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it was a your point of pride. You hold up the bag. That bag should be in the Smithsonian you know, exactly. right now. We held it up, but I had two more flights uh, after that in the day, and we got incredible footage. And you know, flew twice the speed of sound. It was, it was really oh, incredible. Wow, that sounds like my nightmare day. It really does. <laughs> <laughs> that's like the worst thing that could ever happen to me. But that's where we differ. Like, that's one that's, of the many ways where yeah, we so differ. All, you know, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, wow, that's something. Are you flying helicopters now as, a, as yeah, I well? I fly, I'm a commercial instrument rated helicopters and airplanes and So you aerobatics. could take me on a tour of the Grand Canyon or something like I, that? I could do that. You could do that? If you would, I would do it. I could also do it inverted if you want. And you and know what? Let, I'm going to skip the tour of the Grand Canyon. <laughs> <laughs> Will there be a sequel to Top Gun, as Jerry indicated there? <laughs> and, uh, and Kenny, Will Kenny, Kenny and I were we were talking about it tonight. You know, it's, it's just got to be right. That's all. I mean, we just got to figure it out.